I'm excited. We recording. What's up? What up? How y'all feeling? Good. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Um, this is a not so urban podcast. Welcome. Where we, I think um, that was for me, right? Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is <laughs> welcome to Kia. Thank you. Thank you. I feel welcome. Thank yeah, you. I feel welcome. We feel welcome. Um we want you to feel welcome. And this is the first official episode of the Not So Urban Community Conversations podcast. So this is a true so welcome in. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, thank you. See that? See that? <laughs> thank, you that. thank you. Thank you. That's is that an audience? That sounds that like waterfalls. That, that is an audience. <laughs> um, so the first season mm-hmm. is themed community. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're bringing content experts um to the stage or to the Bob Bob Cultural Center. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Bob Bob Cultural Center. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? Um, it's beautiful in here. And Breathtaking. It's, I mean, like every turn, every look, you see a bunch of different. Exactly. Like, it's and just, it, I don't even know what to call it. It's, it's and it smells great. like home. It feels like home, feels smells like home. like home. It is home, mm-hmm. right? It is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like, so one of the strategic things with um, this podcast was going into spaces that wasn't the studio, even mm-hmm. though I got a studio, but going into different places in the community um, and kind of showcasing what they have to offer to the community and mm-hmm. then um, bring it, making it make sense to the conversations. So I felt at first we was going to try to move around and go to different places, but we felt like we should here. centralize this feels our like conversations. Home. This feels um, good. And what better to um, kind of infuse culture with community um, as the first season kind of ensues and um, launches. So again, welcome to Kia. Thank you. Thank Very you. Very grateful. <laughs> thank you. Um, to have you on the show with Grace. Yeah, I'm glad to be mm-hmm. here too. This is a, um, a, a establishment I pass all the time and I never really got a chance to actually come into it. So it's kind of cool and it's really dope. What I was imagining on the outside, I feel like there's even more in here. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's kind of cool. And you know, when you think about Luther Vandross, a house is not a home. <laughs> you know, you got to be in some place a couple of times. You got to spend some time in relationship with a place. So I think the idea of sticking to one place, letting folks really get to feel what this place is and, mm-hmm. and build something here is important. So I'm happy to kick it off. Yeah. yeah. Kick, hold on. Wait, kick it off. <laughs> ah, kick like, it if off. he has a ball getting kicked as a sound, it's going to blow my mind. I was literally thinking the same thing. Like, what are all the sounds that were hit under his pocket? Yeah, oh, my goodness. I got to get some sounds. Yeah, That's you got to get some sounds. I'm going to hold you down. I'm going to keep it loose. I don't think you'll be the only one referencing that. I bet. I bet. It's um, somewhere. Yeah. So again, so <laughs> this is something different, mm-hmm. as we heard. This is mm-hmm. something new, organic, candid, authentic. Um, and we're talking about poverty pimping mm-hmm. today. Um, I mean, can we say where you work at and stuff? And yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Takia Butler. Um, I am the manager for continuous improvement with Rochester Monroe Anti-Poverty Initiative. So we are the community table um, that's charged with figuring out how to address poverty. We know Rochester is one of the poorest cities in the country, um, but we also know that we're very resource rich. Um, so how can we have a situation where we have a lot of the things that we need, right? We have everything that we need, but the system isn't really organized in a way that allows it to get to who needs it most. So we're trying to change what that conversation looks like, who's a part of that conversation um, and how folks um, can think about how to work a lot differently. Um, and so the first thing you would need to do is create that space to practice new things. So that's really what our MAPI is, a space for the community to come together around this issue of how do we make sure everybody is economically well and how do we do that in some ways that you know haven't been done before. 
Oh, you are definitely the perfect candidate for this. Thank you, thank you. Perfect. Y'all make me feel mad special. <laughs> thank you. Yo, it's, you it's, special. You is special. It's thank interesting you. that you say we are the poor, one of the poorest cities mm-hmm. in the country, yet mm-hmm. we are resource rich. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's actually yeah, that goes that make- kind of that kind of goes with the topic, and if it you think does. about it, mm. you have all these resources, but yeah. we still yeah we're still failing at the end of the day, impoverished mm-hmm. at a yeah. high rate at yeah. a high level. Yeah, um, you was gonna ask something. Honestly, I just want to know, uh, really, what are the steps that are currently being taken? Mm-hmm to solve this problem. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to start and I guess frame it in like a mental model, right? So when we talk about poverty, kind of what is it? Because I think depending on kind of how you're approaching that conversation, what kind of field you come from, what you already know, your relationship to people who live in poverty, you're going to really understand what poverty is differently. So some people think of it as kind of a, um, you're you're resigned to poverty versus poverty being something that you, like a condition that you're experiencing, Mm. right? So if we think about it like a condition, which is something you can also get out of, you can be sick and you can also be healthy, right? So it's something that can be fixed. So if we think about it this way, everybody, every household has a budget, right? They Mm. have their money that comes in, their income income and then they have their bills that they have to pay their expenses right and so poverty is a situation where the income you have coming in does not cover the expenses that you need to actually put back out and it definitely doesn't allow for you to save money to build wealth to even go past even being being able to pay your bills so whenever there's a circumstance where if you thought about it kind of like a balancing scale um, there was heavier expenses or there were more expenses than your income could actually cover that's a situation where you're living in poverty now that could be something that you experience temporarily right so you lose your job and you're experiencing poverty, it could also be a situation where you've never really um, had opportunity. And so for a long period of time, you have um, not really known how to go and get the income necessary. Mm -hmm. But then there are circumstances where it's multi-generational, right? Where it's, you don't know how to get out here and get it and your parents did it and your parents' parents didn't know. There there either was an opportunity afforded to them or they didn't know how to go about getting that opportunity. And so a lot of what we're talking about in Rochester is multi-generational poverty. Um, It's poverty we were seeing when you really disaggregate the data by race, by class, by neighborhoods that folks live in. What we're seeing is that it's normally um, persons of color, it's normally African-American or black folks. It's normally, there are a lot of black women who are leading households by themselves with multiple children who are living in their homes. So it's also why we see more children living in poverty in Rochester. When you start to get into what it looks like here um, and you start to ask some of those questions about where and how, who's making the decisions about the resources, um, where and when are those decisions being made. um, When you start to get into the nitty gritty, it becomes a lot more clear how we can have a place where we have so many resources but it's not going to who it needs to go to amazing <laughs> that's why I need my already. wind chimes where my wind chimes sounds at you got one that's alright nope. that's, no, that's, 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 that's your wind chime that's your wind chime alright thank yeah. you thank you thank so, you <laughs> let's talk about the resources that we have or mm-hmm. that we that we have that we're yeah. rich in and let's talk about what they look like, what they are, if they're people, mm-hmm. if they're places, if mm-hmm. they're organizations, whatever it is. Let's talk about those real quick before also, we get who are getting into these resources. Yeah, before we get into yeah. poverty pimps. Yeah, so there's two ways to look at that. There is um, the income side and then the expense side, right? So we're gonna stick with that budget. So on the income side, there is well, what money comes in to hire people, to pay people's wages, to um, when we think about. Um, um, 
who deserves money, we usually think about it in terms of what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the opportunities for employment? Um, so that might look like what type of con- large contracts are coming into our community in order to do what? What types of investments are we making at the federal or at the state level to allow for certain businesses to come here? And are those businesses hiring people locally? Are those hi- are those businesses hiring equally across different um, cultural groups? Um, so we can talk about folks who have the option to pay people. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where resources come in and all the different ways where we might be getting even more resources because we have all these higher education institutions, because we have all these folks focused on science and tech, mm-hmm. um, because even though, you know, Kodak isn't what it used to be, it still also is alive. Right. Yeah. And it's still doing other types of work. So there's that type of that part of the system. And then on the expense side, it's all of the money we get for human services, all the money and resources we get to take care of people, recognizing that New York, New York state is a big state. Um, it has a larger tax base than a lot of other states. There are mm-hmm. some states where they don't even get income taxes. Um, or state income taxes. So there's a lot of resources here. And, you know, based on a little um, side note to say that everyone needs to fill out the census, Um, based on those census data, based on the information that the government has, they say, well, there's a lot of people in need in this area. So we're going to send those resources to that area. But the way that they send them are through nonprofit organizations, through certain agencies. Now, those agencies are also trying to serve a lot of people. So they have to make decisions about who they will and won't serve. Right. And often they'll say we're going to serve the people in most crisis because nobody's going to disagree that those people need help. The argument that we're making actually is that it's the folks in the middle. It's the disappearing middle class that actually needs resources, because when you help them, then you're able to stay out of poverty. Right. So there. So there's two sides to think about this. There's income coming in um, and who's hiring folks and who's enabling kind of sustainable employment. And that's some of the work we're doing now Mm -hmm. to kind of talk to employers about how they can um, go about recruiting different type of people that maybe they recruited before, Mm -hmm. how they can change some of their rules and regulations about who they hire. Um, So do does that person really need to have a a bachelor's degree or is the high school diploma good because you're going to learn on the job? True. Right. So maybe you don't need to have all those rules that get in the way of the right people being able to work here. Yeah. Um, are you going into certain neighborhoods and hiring certain people or letting them know that those jobs are options too? Or mm-hmm. are we only coming to certain neighborhoods with only certain types of jobs because we think that that's all those people are good enough to do? Um, on the human services side, do those places making decisions and going out and trying to get money actually telling people what we need here? Mm. Right. Where do they get information about what programs will or won't work, about what's necessary or what will actually solve my problems? Is that actually being informed by the community members who actually need it most? So some of thinking about how we can better um, connect and and coordinate the provision of services Mm -hmm. to make sure that it's actually getting to people quickly. So it's Mm -hmm. based on what a customer or what a human person needs. And so that it's happening in a way where we aren't um, where multiple organizations aren't trying to do the same thing for the same people, unnecessarily engaging in competition with each other when actually there's something else you should be doing because it would supplement or complement what someone yeah. else has. Those kind of conversations can only be had at a table where everybody's sitting together mm-hmm. and that's what our map is. Mm-hmm. I really do love that. I really do love that. Because you do see a lot of uh, organizations that really do target one area. And to mm-hmm. be honest with you, I never really thought about um, tackling the middle class yep. because yep. that is true. Because I ran across a situation like that, got laid off from a mm-hmm. job yep. and yep. really had no way out. And yep. they said my income was too high because my fiance and I live together and we're just like excuse me we just lost a car like what's going on so I definitely honestly wow I never really thought about it that way because you think about when you're going through something or we even talk about someone they think it's think of it as it's just me thing Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. not even thinking that there's it's multiple people who are in the same situation as you yeah so that's actually pretty interesting to even think about that and also I love the fact that you talked about jobs going to different jobs that um, say that you have to have a bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. to, you know, Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. honest with you, 
sometimes that's not even necessary. Absolutely. So, because I know plenty of people, it's crazy because I always refer to people to Citizens Bank because mm-hmm. that's actually, even though they laid me off, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, even though they laid me off, I always refer people to them because they will give you the opportunity to become right. a banker, make great money. Yep. And you do not need to have a bachelor's degree, even though some of your counterparts do a bachelor's degree and obviously they get paid a little bit more than you. Mm-hmm. You but can, can still grind. I always talk about this one guy who became a manager right mm-hmm. out of high school. Yep. Was making more than like approximately $80,000 being 19, 20 years old making $80,000 a year. Oh, he never did not know college. how to handle it. I'm sure he, that was like his Kobe kind of. Can I be honest with you? <laughs> kind of be honest with you? Homeboy yeah, yeah. bought a house. Homeboy yeah. is. Okay. Right. He was actually pretty set. And hey, look at me misjudging. Yeah. Okay, you're right. He was you're actually right. really, because as a banker, you become good with Yeah, no, that's money. true. That's very true. But I mean, um, some. But I honestly think that's, I always refer to, refer people to them because mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. So I think of more positions that you don't need a degree for mm-hmm. necessarily if they had that same mindset just to see how many people would be able to be like the kid who graduated from high school right. making 80000 a year right. and he was grinding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's career pathways, right? Exactly. So, and career ladders and there has to be a way to kind of um, set that highway up where I don't, maybe I start out needing only the cert- certificate or certification and then maybe I go and get a license if a, if a license is necessary and then, I can on, and then I can offer it at this position but when I'm ready to now go for the next managerial position then I go back and get the associates, exactly. right? We need to make it easy for people to g- figure out what's necessary to move forward and modulate that in a way where people can grow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a deeper conversation to be had there about who we think has what type of potential mm-hmm. to do what. And so back again to when we start to disaggregate the data and look at what poverty looks like in Rochester, there's a couple of things to think about. There's Rochester versus Monroe County, right? So there's a there's just m- the percentage of persons living in poverty is greater in the city of Rochester than the county. Thanks. Right. So why are there why is there a heavier concentration of poverty in the city versus in the wider county? What's the relationship between those spaces that where that ends up being the case? Is it something to worry about or is it not? We don't know, but it's worth looking at. Right. right? When we disaggregate by race um, and we see maybe the unemployment numbers are always almost double (laughs) for the black population versus what the overall numbers are. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's just when you really start to break down the data and look at what's real, not necessarily what person's opinions are. Mm -hmm. It starts to leave me with the question of do we believe in the potential of who are current of those who are currently living in poverty there are a lot of situations and places in my life where like I knew I was down but I wasn't out but nobody else knew it but I knew it right right Right? and so there are lots of people who are living in poverty I think this gets into the poverty pimp conversation there are lots of people who are living in poverty but who absolutely and wholly could become the scientist the physicist the poet the whomever that changes this world that makes it a different place so it we are all messing ourselves up if we allow that person to suffer right if we don't give that person the tools they need to become who we know that they could become we all lose when that happens literally and so how do we start to have that perspective like are we actually giving people we should not have no one should have barriers to becoming the best versions of themselves because the second you get the opportunity to be the best version of yourself the second you give somebody else that chance too so really is is the work is is that um that critical that crucial that that true Mm -hmm. um that how do we allow for everyone to have the opportunity to 
produce meaning in this world mm-hmm. and pay them something that is equivalent or is deserving of what they created in this world because mm-hmm. there are lots of people who won't even get that chance and those are and the great majority of those people are living in multi-generational poverty and how would you say that we would get to those people because that's the thing mm-hmm. because we can we can have conversations about you know getting to them and so on and so forth but, but there's not a plan for us to be able to reach out to them because yeah. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and they they feel that heavy burden mm-hmm. of that generational wealth mm-hmm. when my grandma didn't mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. my mom ain't do it who am I mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. it always takes you always see that one family member who makes it but they make it and get out the hood and don't even want nothing to do with their family member no more so they don't even have you know what I'm saying so how do you get to those people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. who are really just down and out yeah. because I didn't believe that there was a such thing as that mentality growing up because mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to have the family members reach back for yeah. me. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't until I was actually engaged with someone and his whole family, yeah. his whole yeah. family was the yeah. generational poor. Yeah. And I remember just thinking like, I don't even want to come over here because like everybody is down and out. This person's on welfare. This person's on section eight. Everybody, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It just felt very depressing. Mm-hmm. So um, and they really had they didn't see no way out yeah. so how do you get to yeah. those people how do you reach out to them how can we get to them yeah I mean I think it's um, I don't know that there's like a blanket answer right. for any of that stuff um, I think you find the folks who connect with you right or if you whatever you whatever talent you have whatever thing you could give that you can afford to give to someone you give mm-hmm. um, I think that it's a little different for me. So my parents are probably was like the the of of our family that that um, those folks who broke some generational ties or some right. generational like say we say curses, mm-hmm. um, and started to really try and plan for a life where that was that was different for their kids. And it's not to say that my the rest of you know their sisters and brothers didn't, mm-hmm. um, but there was a core difference for them, and they tried a lot to give back. And so you know sometimes you might think that it's giving folks money or signing them up for opportunities or doing it for somebody right or telling them like come on you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of love in that mm-hmm. and so how do you actually really start out by finding somebody in the hood and asking them what they want to do like what they're interested in what their purpose is help somebody find their way find their own thing to hold on to mm-hmm. find something that they can be motivated in and I think that's a lot of one-on-one relationships so if we had to like blow that out into something bigger I would say the use the term social capital mm-hmm. so the reality is most people when they have a lot of resources they have their uncle who runs a business they have their aunt who's at a university they have all sorts of people they can call on when they don't mm-hmm. know what to do Mm-hmm. And so how can we create more social capital for people who are living in poverty? When I graduated from college, I had worked all throughout college. All I knew was that you got to work and grind because that's mm-hmm. what I saw my parents do. So when I graduated, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what jobs to go look for. I didn't know who to call. I literally was scrounging through LinkedIn to find people to help me. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are all these folks like whose names I still remember in my head who like I called on some like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I want to do something. Mm-hmm. And they like kind of gave me the game and like gave me the pieces. And so I think some of it is just finding um, being willing to be community to people who want you to be a part of their community and then also spending time in, in dialogue and in relationship with people and always encouraging them there are dudes on the block somewhere like a couple of corners away who I'm like don't talk to me until you tell me what your purpose is because I've been asking you for three months mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've been out here with you every day I was riding my bike past you all summer <laughs> asking you what your purpose was and I don't know if you're playing or not but when you're ready I'm going to be ready for you mm-hmm. and when you're ready and you know what you want to do I'm going to be just as in your corner as anybody else in your family would be because that's what social capital looks like. Mm. So I think there are a lot of a lot of different ways to get to people. But the real question is, how can I who can I be in relationship with? How can we begin to begin in that relationship? And then what do I have that I can offer people that I can afford to give away? It's the true community aspect. Absolutely. Of it. Absolutely. Yep. Yo, it's, I, 
as I'm as y'all that synergy was going on, I'm over here like <laughs> thinking as I go through. So two things mm-hmm. I had to put in my notes so I didn't forget. Yeah. But y'all ended right on time, so that's you know. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So the two things, social capital. So mm-hmm. this show, the when we was sitting at the table mm-hmm. and you said not so urban and then I had well I was pitching you what I wanted to do and then you said not so urban and then all this kind of just came into fruition. Um that was one of the things that I was actually trying to cultivate so between my sports um initiative and i want to start soon and then this show is kind of to bring people together to network and use each other's strengths Mm -hmm. to strengthen our weaknesses type things and understanding i was actually just talking about that last last night to where I was talking about, which is this is kind of off topic, but it's going to come full circle. I was talking about the idea of black men marrying other ethnic groups mm-hmm. and the whole Kobe situation with the girl King and everything like that. And I was having a conversation about the how we get past the, you know, maybe jealousy or the envy or the aspects of the outlook on a black man dating a white woman mm-hmm. or a Latino woman or whatever. But when we flip it and the black woman is dating a white man or a Latino man, there's a double standard to what black love is and what's acceptable. Mm-hmm. And okay. what I'm, what I was getting to was, which goes to the social capital is we don't have a family structure. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about solidifying black love and we talk about the loyalty of the black woman and we talk about the disloyalty of the black man, what we're talking about and trying to kind of fuse those two so it's loyalty that's equal to each other. Um, Mm -hmm. I was talking about how what happens is we don't have the, we don't have the black family structures to go back to and ask questions. We don't have that Mm -hmm. example to say like, okay, well, I don't know why I feel this way about this that happened in my, in my household yeah. or with my girlfriend so how yeah. you know how like can i you know how can i do that because yeah. our family structure, ha- structure has been broken over time and it's been continuously broken so we tend to follow our generation multi-generational patterns of yeah. like all right well i can be on my i could be alone by myself like i was saying like the independent black woman can be a gift to herself or a curse to herself because she can I feel like I'm letting you get a lot of points off that I have thoughts about. You know, yeah, I was about to say, I'm holding them. I'm sorry, I don't want to go go too too far, but when I say that, I mean like to our black girls are they're um, raised to be independent, Mm -hmm. but they're not raised to understand what that independence means. So mm-hmm. when they go into that independence, they go independent. They they go they grow up saying, "I don't need anybody. I, all I need is myself." However, that can create an unhealthy balance. That can create a yeah unhealthy balance to the yeah, to the point where they tend to push away people that's trying to be there because they know that they can do it by themselves. So it go it goes into, and then when they go to their moms or whoever, whomever, yeah, they, that same psyche is reinforced so then it creates this um, perpetual cycle of well okay I can do it by myself I can do it by myself as opposed to when they go to 
a person that understands that balance it's like okay you can do it by yourself but you do need complementary you need something to complement that yeah you need balance you know what i'm saying so that social capital thing portion i think it went it goes with that because when we're talking about the degree things that's something that i've i've been struggling with because mm-hmm. i only got my associates but mm-hmm. i have so much experience when it comes to my profession when yeah, it comes yeah. to youth work when it comes to education i have so many resources but mm-hmm. i have and i have so much knowledge that's kind of intertwined to the things to where i have the equivalent to a bachelor's or even a master's mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. we if i want to push it that far um but jobs are easily will easily say you don't have your bachelor's mm-hmm. so i've had uncommon schools say you have more than enough experience you, you're super qualified for this position but we're not gonna hire you until you get your bachelor's so when you get your bachelor's no reapply that makes so it's one of those things where I, they see the value in me and what I can bring to their organization. Mm-hmm. However, they're, they'll turn me away because I don't have my bachelor's. Yeah. So, and so the more um, the more things get organized, right? Like mm-hmm. originally community is just the uh, it's usually family, right? To your point, right? That your your core community is kind of is your family. But then there are also like maybe other families that you've known for like a couple of decades or a couple of years. So everybody kind of has like those play cousins, right? And that's sort of how society almost gets built. Like it starts out with a household, Mm -hmm. but then there are all these other relationships that either you choose to keep or ones that you choose to build, right? Mm -hmm. All these other relationships. Mm -hmm. And so social capital is really a a question of what's your social safety? Who can you call when you need help? Um, Who can I rely on? And there's different types of social capital. So there's um, like bonding social capital where I have, um, I can call on someone who looks like me or Mm -hmm. there's something that we have in common. There's bridging where I'm trying to build and the ability to call someone who does not look like me. So when we talk about um, one of the strategies for how we can create more opportunity for folks. How often can we make mixed income communities? How often can we have people with all different types of incomes live together? Because what happens is all that collision between people that bumping your kids growing up with your kids, they start to learn practices that cross some some um, some boundaries and you start to pick up new skills that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Is that kind of like, I'm sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. kind of like how the urban suburban kind of plays? Cause, or do you feel as if that's not? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure. Sh- so, because that I is, think, you know, two different type of communities yeah. coming to, well, it's one being bust out, but you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so power dynamics matter a lot when we talk about any type of community building mm-hmm. and who's going into whose community to do what, who benefits from that, who does not benefit, um, who gets to benefit more mm-hmm. than somebody else gets to benefit, what happens to the larger community that you represent when those sort of things happen. There's a lot of questions to ask mm-hmm. when we have certain conversations. It's, it's always interesting for me to have urban suburban conversations mm-hmm. um, because I I went to Wilson. And so I went to, I, you know, did all the map programs, the charter school programs. Um, it was really important to my parents to keep us in the inner city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to not, and to not move us out into suburban spaces. And part of why that was important to my parents is because they knew that there was a, a socio emotional toll that you have to take when you move out there as well. And so, yeah. you know, different parents make different types of decisions. But what I know is that the, most of the knowledge I had that made a difference for me, I didn't learn in school anyways. I learned it from my parents. Yeah. So it was a lot more of the word smart tapes on the weekend. And I like couldn't go outside and until, you know, I finished all of my stuff. Mm-hmm. It was Black History Month essays I had to write every single day about a, a person in Black history that I didn't know about before. My, my parents structured a lot of my education mm-hmm. experience. Um, you know, but it, alongside that, I couldn't, um, I could only watch TV on the days that like Black TV shows came on. I could only have Black dolls. When I would leave the house, my parents would have me and my brothers look each other, look at ourselves in the mirror and be like, I'm Black and I'm beautiful and I'm proud. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of building me up. Mm-hmm. And so that was in a lot of ways more important to my parents. And that was really a result of experiences that my parents 
parents had had too, where they mm-hmm. had been bust or they had been brought into certain spaces and didn't feel safe as people. And so if you don't feel safe as a person, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're learning. You, you're right, not even right. going to be receiving it. Right. Then on top of that, you know, there were and have been, you know, resources that existed in the city. Um, and so making those um, a little bit more available to us was an option too. But I think the, the, the core hope in urban suburban was that there were resources in these other places. Um, and how can we get our kids access to those resources? Mm-hmm. There's a Malcolm Gladwell podcast on revisionist history. And he talks about um, board, Brown versus board education and that the real point actually was to what should have happened is that the teachers should have got it integrated and not the kids and how different it would have been if the teachers had been bust mm-hmm. <laughs> and merged across the street, uh, across um, as wow, opposed I to the kids. I actually never heard of that reference because I'm a product yeah. of urban suburban. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. when you talked about, uh, what did you just say? You said something about the emotional uh, toll. So when I tell you, I, yeah. I told Devin and Ashwa this um, as an example, I know we're getting off topic, but mm-hmm. When I was, I literally remember having a dream and it was right after Freaky Friday, the second one came out (laughs) and I was just like, man, I really want to wake up white. Yeah. I want to wake up with blonde hair and blue eyes. And that is the main reason why I did not choose, well, I chose to marry a black man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is the, as an adult, when I looked at that and- I was dating, you know, all different type of races Mm -hmm. and I had to figure out why am I dating outside of my race? Is it because I want to improve my race? Is it because of this or that? And And those are hard questions to ask yourself and hard conversations. Especially when you have family members that are old, everybody, you know, nothing's wrong Mm -hmm. with, but what is the reasoning behind it? So I knew for me, my -hmm. reasoning behind it wasn't healthy. So I was just like, okay, so do I want my children to look like me? Yes, I do. I want mm-hmm. my daughter to look just like me. I want my husband to look like me. I want him to know that I have natural hair. I, you know, mm-hmm. these I don't are know the if I want my husband to look like me, but I heard you. But you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. I want him to be, for me, that was, that was important for me that because I grew saying. up, you know. Yeah, but um, it was, it's really crazy because I never, you know, I always talk about how you know those emotional tolls and you know even the kid who asked me in first grade why my palms are a different color than my actual hand I remember things like that Mm -hmm. and it had a true impact on me that's a legitimate question I'm sorry well, yeah, it's a that's it's a legitimate question, but you know, it's a question that starts to lift up differences that exactly. I'm not sure are even. I think we might have over. Um, how do I explain this? Let me back up. So, um, one of the core root causes, right, when we think about to the point of when you really look at the data and you understand what's going on in Rochester specifically and why it's happening, what we land on is that structural racism, mm-hmm. not just yep. like interpersonal racism, like somebody no, calling you a name you don't want to be called, but structural in the sense of policies and practices that were intentionally designed to separate to put mm-hmm. to say that one group is this and another group is ordered under or above them mm-hmm. um, structural racism is really a huge portion of why there's that disconnect and why there is not the type of social capital in black communities that allow for you to get those job opportunities that mm-hmm. exist mm-hmm. or for you to not know where the resources are in the same way that maybe other people know where the resources are mm-hmm. right so how do we really actually tackle that and what does it look like um, and I think some of um, understanding structural racism is also understanding the impact that it has on people um, and when I think about it in its most basic basic sense it separated people mm-hmm. people who really didn't need to be separated there's probably more common you have things more in common with people who don't look like you 
than people who do look like mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Right. And so we started to create all these ways that were different and separate and then started mm-hmm. to reinforce those ways mm-hmm. and never really stop and ask ourselves, well, why? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? Um, I guess to kind of bring it back to the conversation of poverty because right. there's been like a couple of things which where, I, where that have popped up in my head here. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted I guess my main point I wanted to make today was we need to ask ourselves why poverty pimps continue to exist to the point yeah. where we're saying all these things are happening. We really want to know why we want to know the mechanics of what's happening. So if a poverty pimp is somebody that is taking the lived experience of somebody else, right? Someone who is living in poverty and says, okay, I'm going to go I, Hey y'all, like y'all sit tight. I'm going to fight for y'all. I'm going to go into these other spaces. Y'all can't get it. And I'm going to, I'm going to be the one that's going to push and going to fight for y'all. Well, why doesn't that person ever just make space for those people to go into those rooms themselves, right? Mm -hmm. What is that person getting? How does that person benefit from Mm -hmm. kind of being this middle person? And honestly, do I need that person to be my middleman? Why do we, as a community, not do more to speak for ourselves? And how do we have that the same way you had tough conversations with yourself? Mm-hmm. How do we as a community have that really tough conversation with ourselves? Poverty mm-hmm. pimps exist because we let them exist. Mm-hmm. They exist because we're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Now, the real question is, why aren't we paying attention? Well, because we're working a lot of hours, mm-hmm. because we're tired, because we're stressed, because a lot of times when something's going down, we don't have anybody to call. So we're holding our breath and just making it through. Mm-hmm. We're constantly absorbing trauma and never really dealing with it, never really healing. So we're not even able to be present mm-hmm. <laughs> right? in a lot of ways that even allow us to pay attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, the, a real conversation about poverty pimps is not even to get stuck on who a poverty pimp is, what they look like, how they operate. You know it by somebody who says things that they have that has no integrity behind them, period. That's what mm-hmm. a poverty pimp is, right? Mm-hmm. A poverty pimp is anybody who said they was going to go out here and benefit you and that their additional effort required some sort of payment. Makes yeah. no sense. Make right? it make sense. I don't. I think people should get paid for the work that they do, True, right? And, and and I do work and I do anti-poverty work too, right? Yeah. And I would like to be paid a salary for the work that I do, but right. I would like that salary salary to be commensurate with what I exactly. the impact that I actually have and the yeah. benefit that I actually have for people. Pay me for the part that I'm doing, mm-hmm. not simply because I'm speaking on behalf of somebody else, mm-hmm. right? Right. So how when we when we're trying to th- figure out or find out who those poverty pimps are the biggest thing we have to ask is well what has that person done to actually change the circumstance mm-hmm. what is the real actual work that they're doing and is that um, do I feel as an individual community member do I feel like that work is just is, is justifiably doing something on my behalf I have to figure out how to start paying attention um, so then as a larger community how do we support um, persons in poverty who say they want to lean in that they want to be a part of the change they want to start paying attention they want to start understanding what's going on how do we give them leadership opportunities how do we give them room and space to have voice um, and also always encouraging them in the same way not to get too lost and too caught up and trying to prove too many things to too many other people yeah. not to become so much of a face so much of a charismatic leader that they forgot why they're here mm. um, so this conversation was just really important and kind of interesting to me because I think we're going to see a lot of political change in the next couple of years in Rochester. We're going to see a lot of new faces who mm-hmm. are saying a lot of new things or who mm-hmm. are saying old things wrapped in new packaging. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, the same cycle will repeat itself if we don't all as a community decide to start paying a little bit more attention. Yeah. So what does that look like right now today? Does that look like making sure our neighbor who maybe has a kid has one of us to babysit their kids so they could go to the rally? Like, what does it look like in terms of how do we leverage social capital 
right? This this who can you call to help when you need it? How can we show up and be that, right? Especially if we are not living in poverty, how do we show up and be that to some of the folks who are? Mm-hmm. How do we be in relationship with each other? Know what each other needs. Lean in where we can, where we can afford to lean in with the talents that we have. Mm-hmm. Be of support to each other and encourage each other to stay woke, to stay present, to be here yeah. and to make sure that we are holding people accountable and that we know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think the way that I can start by doing that is to take all of my little nerdy, brainy, under like I think about poverty all <laughs> all day it's all I think about (laughs) and come and try and share that stuff as plainly as I possibly can Mm. but that might look different for somebody else so what can we do today to actually be the opposite of a poverty pimp because they only exist because ain't no other options and nobody's paying attention so how do we show up and just be something different Man, I'm gonna leave this conversation like, how should I make a change? Mm, what can I do? I'll start <laughs> with the woman I in do? the mirror. I'm telling her to change her ways. I'm about to tell my friend I can babysit their kids so they can go to the rally. <laughs> Drop them all off in my house. No, I'm kidding. Um, wow, that I, wow, that was just a wealth of just book knowledge Seriously. chapters. That was like chapters twenty something. I it think was that deserved a bomb. Now that. <laughs> See how I push it. You gotta push it. That like that. deserved a vibe. Um. So, to, so I, I heard a lot. I heard a lot yeah. of different things. Yeah. And when when it comes back to the core foundation, and we're talking about community, mm-hmm. we're talking about the the three kind of pillars of com- of community and what makes it up: mm-hmm. child, adult, elder. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand. So there's a disconnect somewhere with in between the three mm-hmm. to where childcare I heard childcare that's a that's something that our community in Rochester I, I know for a fact childcare is a lot mm, it's, it's a lot of money and then the childcare that's ran by organiza- bigger organizations are full yeah. filled out mm-hmm. so then you have to go and find independent childcare you know companies or caregivers or whatever and it's a it's a problem so i know of, of a few people that had to quit their job because their the elders didn't want to watch the youngins mm-hmm. so and then they had to go and try to find child care but there's there's wait lists with 100 kids on there and mm-hmm. they're 102 and they need child care now but they can't find it yeah. but they don't they also don't have those adults or elders in the community that will you know they're retired Mm-hmm. But they won't take the time to watch the kids so the adults can go and do what they got to do. Yeah. So when we're talking about community and we're talking about building community and maintaining community, maintaining family structures and um, kind of not promoting um, poverty or mm-hmm. sustaining poverty, we have to kind of come to the table and talk about what community is, what it means, how we have to define community together mm-hmm. um, and kind of practice community together because um, when we when we listen back to this conversation, in the various um, realms that it hit, in the various avenues that it turned on, it comes back to we have to look out for each other, yep. and we have to be able to go and find somebody that we know that will, in return, give us what we need. And it doesn't have to be monetary. It doesn't have to be anything serious it could be as simple as yo i need some advice i come to you all the time when it's like and i also tell you to call me right so i'll I'll flip it on you that it's um yeah being open to asking for help but also i'm in constant pursuit of who i can offer help to Mm -hmm. right like i'm really clear on like what i have to offer and then if i see that that resonates with somebody or something that somebody needs like anybody will tell you i'm excited to give you what i have right so it's almost actually that's probably more in your control than the asking people i'm also 
also working on learning to ask for help. So maybe I'm just not as experienced in that category <laughs> yet. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll come back at the end of the season and maybe yeah, I'm a better person. Yeah. Continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, I know that what I can control is that is how I choose to be good to mm. other people, how I right. choose to live in kindness. I think that when you operate in that way, um, the the universe responds to you. Right. Like I really do believe that. Like when you are a person that, that are actively trying to give to, to other folks, it, the, the world presents to you also... Um, the same back if not in tenfold then at least twice as much and that's real i i I truly wholeheartedly believe in that Mm -hmm. and it's certain things as we go through life and we um, encounter the poverty pimps because we do encounter them Mm -hmm. um whether it's in organizational form or in as a person Mm -hmm. um we have to know how to operate in those spaces Mm -hmm. and we we also have to know how to combat those spaces while we're in those spaces Mm -hmm. we can't allow certain things certain practices certain ideals to continue to grow because when we sit back and we listen to um poverty pimp mentality Mm -hmm. and rhetoric and things of that nature and we allow it to continue Mm -hmm. that we are then becoming that of a poverty pimp so Go ahead. If I can add one extra thing that I think is important. I think you also know a pimp because their message never changes. Mm. And so... Um Mm. So a lot of this work is also understanding like how to change systems and a system can be a person, a system can be an organization, a system can be a community. There's a lot of different ways to think about a system. Your body is a system, right? Like your heart works with your lungs, works with your skin, like it mm. all works together to, to keep you alive. Kobe and system. So, yeah, right. Kobe I to, system. Yo, <laughs> I had to plug that. Yeah. Because we had a thing. With yeah, the Kobe yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of Kobe system. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Mamba mentality. <laughs> Mamba mentality. It was like Ooh, these series of commercials. Yeah. yeah. And I was series. like, yo, I'm going to start an algorithm. And then like eight years <laughs> later, like I got this it my whole there. life is basically. Kobe system. <laughs> and we had like a yeah, whole moment. I've been bonding with all a, my brothers and like men that I love around Kobe. It's yeah, been really beautiful, okay. actually. Yeah. Um, but so another way to, to identify kind of systemic behavior, like structural behavior, is you know, you'll have an event that happens one time, right? Like somebody does something one time, and that's not really enough to like draw a judgment yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you might see them do that same um, um, in the same circumstance, they always show up that way, right? And so you might say, like, that's a behavior. But then let's say like the circumstances change and they still acting like that. So like with new information or with new understanding or something has changed and they still using the same, they still doing the same thing that they do. That's when you know that something is deeper. Yeah. There's like a deeper belief that they're sticking to that even regardless of if the world around them changes, they still show up that way or a system still persists in that way. An organization that's still trying to give people free socks, even though we know that that's not good enough, that that don't yeah. get the job done. Right. Mm. Right? A, a community that continues to fund poverty in a way that is not working, that is mm. not actually solving the problem. All that's left for me then is, well, why is that happening? Why is that person doing this? Why is this organization still sticking to this? Why is this still happening? And so you can start to see poverty pimps when their language and their messaging and the things that they care about just do not change. Um, and no matter what type of conversation they're having, um, it's almost as if they're operating off a script when they're talking to you and they're not actually engaging in real, like legitimate relationship with you or a real conversation with you. That's one of those ways you can start to see a poverty pimp. And it's really one of the ways you can just spot a liar, period. Yeah. But Wow. <laughs> it was like some yeah, in the that's, audience. That's like, word. <laughs> I'm going to get you some chimes. Yeah, give me some chimes or something. 
Yo, so um, we're coming close to that time, yeah. and um, we appreciate you for coming on so the much. inaugural episode so of the Not So Urban Community. Hey, yo, I'm proud of you. Podcast. I'm appreciate proud of you. It. That like for all of this appreciate conversation, this is you know this is the work too. This is supporting yeah. folks who are doing really really great things in Rochester. Let's build good stuff here. Yeah, let's, let's 10, 15 years from now, we're not saying we're the poorest city. Let's say this is one of the best cities in the country to live if you're black. Yeah. Also, climate change is about to happen. This is probably one of the best places in the world to be is bad fresh water yeah, in the area so true yeah. so let's we got <laughs> let's make Rochester yeah let's you know make Rochester saying? a great place to be thriving seriously Absolutely. I really always say I always see Rochester and then, yeah. lastly shout yeah. out to the Baobab Cultural Center Word. for allowing us to utilize this space. It's Word. a dope space. Um, it's I love this space, and every time I come here, I feel like I learn something, or I feel something that I don't feel elsewhere. Mm. Um, even in mm-hmm. my spaces, um, because this is culture. It's something different. It's something new. Um, it's something that we're inherently connected to um, through the use or the what's known as genealogy. So through our genes, we are connected to certain vibrations, Mm -hmm. um, certain images, colors, people. Um, so that's why when we see our people across the world, we're instantly connected to them. So, Mm -hmm. um, shout out to the Baobab cultural center. You'll see a lot more, um, content coming, um, as to what the Baobab does, um, with some of their workers, with the owner, all that stuff. So stay tuned for that. But without further ado, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad Thank to be you. here, man. I wish y'all all the rest, best of luck. Um, I hope everyone else gets to come in and see this cultural center, see how beautiful it is. And, you know, I'll be in the audience. Yay. Also, can you give us your social media tags? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So my old Twitter that I don't be tweeting on is uh, Takia <laughs> underscore Butler. Um, my Instagram is TakVerbs, T-A-K-V-E-R-B-S. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook as well at Takia A. Butler. I'm like 50 friends away from you having to just like follow me. So yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm on almost there you know what I'm saying but (laughs) But the best way to find me is on Instagram so uh, talk verbs and then our Mappy's website is at endingpovertynow.org so if you want to know what we're doing locally to uh, make sure that our community is full of more people who are self-sufficient it's endingpovertynow.org and remember to get get at her if you need yeah. if you have any questions mm-hmm. if you need help with anything that has Absolutely. to do with poverty yeah. if you want to you know show up for any of our tables if you have ideas of what strategies we should be moving towards um, any information any thoughts on what we should shouldn't be doing any type of if you just want to bond and build and just talk you know just reach out um, I will be there to listen and hear and if I'm not the best person to talk to we'll figure out who the best person is awesome awesome yeah. thank you so much thank girl. you guys thank you <laughs> right, appreciate well, y'all we'll see y'all next week Bye. Wind chimes. <laughs> <laughs>